what you did all week, there's nothing as important as what we're doing right now. Uh, and I think we can lose. I don't care what you got to change in your week to schedule to be here, change it. You know, it's, I understand sometimes you can't change it. Sometimes, you know, you're uh, vomiting and all that stuff. You don't get to make a, but if it's something you can change, change it. That's for sure. A um, couple things I want to mention before we get into the lesson there from the text that Dustin just read there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Let me remind you that Lord willing, next Sunday, Friend and Family Day. So we hope to have a full house again. You know how you get that? By everybody. Hey, do me a favor. If you invited someone already for next Sunday, raise your hand. If you haven't, you better get started. So uh, we need to encourage people and get them here. And you can invite. Here's what I tell people. I says friend and family. So you don't just get to invite one. You got to invite a friend and a family member. So anyway, uh, maybe you live a long way from family. So that's tough. Uh, also, just remind at least the men, they're more than welcome. Tomorrow uh, morning, we'll host the, I will host the area-wide preachers meeting. Uh, starts with some coffee and some stale donuts and stuff like that at 9.30, and then we get into a study discussion at 10. But uh, remind the men of that. And also, I see our tree timber at least got a couple of trees cut out here. And uh, hopefully, he's back this week to finish those off. So... That's good. You know, this is a I, this this part of the passage is kind of interesting. When I was putting this together uh, a few weeks ago, and when I was looking at it again today, both times I thought about Ben's dad because he brought up this passage when we were in a discussion uh, last time he was here. But I, I think about this, and it talks about the bond servant. That's just another term for Christian. You got it? We're bond servants, and you do understand a bond servant's a lot like a slave. You're bound to accomplish whatever that is, whether you sold yourself into that bondage, whatever it is. And we are bound, once we become Christians, you're raised up to walk in this life. From that day forward, you're bound to do whatever the Lord says. Now, I understand you're bound to do what the Lord said before that, but your options are totally limited now. And there's no excuse. And so I think about that, but I want you to see what it says here. Uh, in verse 30, 24, excuse me, the Lord's bondservant must. Do you got the idea what must means? Now, I want you to know this text from 24 through 26 is not optional for any one of us. There isn't one thing mentioned in here that's optional. These are things that must be. We've talked about that before when we look like at the qualification of elders, qualification of deacons. You know, elder must be the husband of one wife. That means he can't be unmarried. That means he can't have a multitude of women. He must be. That's what you must be. Not must have been. That doesn't talk about your history. Not will be, must be. So this passage says the bondservant must not, that's the first one is not, that's the only one in this that's in a negative form, must not be quarrelsome. Boy, some people, they just want to quarrel and argue about everything. I still remember a fellow a long time ago when I was preaching in Alaska, and he would tell you he was a problem in a class because he, I remember I finally got tired of playing the game with him, but he would say, well, I'm just playing the devil's advocate. I said, well, if I was you, I would never want to advocate anything the devil said. But he just liked to cause a stink, liked to cause a stir. I don't like people like that. I'm telling you right now, if you're one of those people, I don't like that. 
And I don't like it because God doesn't like it. And a bondservant of Christ must not be quarrelsome. There's some people, they just always got to bring up that side. So I want to read a couple of passages to you on that point. I'm not going to be able to hit, give justice to all the points made here today. But over in Proverbs, listen to this as I read from Proverbs 20 and verse 3. Keep away from strife is an honor for a man. If you keep away from strife, when you see, just walk the other way. But any fool will quarrel. Any fool will stand and quarrel. Why are you? Don't, it isn't worth wasting your time on. Just get away from it. Hopefully we practice exactly that. I just want to hit a few passages on this because I think it is incredibly important. So if you turn over to James, James chapter 4, listen to this in verses 1 through 4. I don't have time to cover the whole text that be, leads up to this, but here's what it says. What is the source of quarrels? Wait a minute, I thought the bondservant of Christ was not to be quarrelsome. What in the world is there being quarrels in the church for? You got a bunch of bond servants doing things they're not to do. That's why. And conflicts among you, it is not, is not the source of your pleasure that wage war in your members. You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. Wow. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasure. You adulteress? It's talking about you're an adulteress to the Lord. You're cheating on Him. Do you not know that foolish that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Wow, you got to swallow there. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Well, let me tell you what, people who are quarrelsome are of the world, and they're not friends of God, because God's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. One more on that one. I just like this verse a lot. Um, 1 Corinthians 1, we go to verse 10 a lot, and I might have to jump up and hit it before we finish this, but verse 11, for you, for I have been a four... Excuse me. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. And you read the rest of 1 Corinthians and you'll see it has a, all kinds of reasons why those quarrels are there. But he already told you why there was quarrels in the verse before. Because they're not of the same mind, same judgment. There's to be no division and there is division. This, God's Word, if we live according to it, if we believe what it says... We're going to be alike. We're going to be, so I think it's interesting back here when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I just want you to know so you can teach the brethren that the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but he's to be kind to all. That kind is an interesting word. You know, usually the best way to define kind is usually pick someone who is the epitome of kind. But I want you to make sure in 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 13, which many people, I don't call it that, many people call the love chapter because I'd call 1, Corinthians, or 1 John 4 the love chapter. But it says one of the things, love is kind. But I think we get lost in that too 
because we forget as um, Romans chapter 11 and verse 22, is God kind? A lot of people says, well, if you stand up to wrong and you, you, you speak out to wrong, or even like Ben mentioned his prayer, you rebuke or exhort someone that you're not kind. That might be the kindest thing you can do to them, but do understand from Romans chapter 11 and verse 22, there is the kindness and severity of God. If you're going to be godly, they're going to be the kind side of you, and there's going to be heat on side of you. Because that's how God is. And he says, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise also you will be cut off severity. How do you abide in the kindness of God? You do what he says. So we look at this, we've got quarrelsome, you cannot be, kind is what you've got to be, and in the middle of the fruit of the Spirit, there in Galatians 5 and verse 22, one of the descriptive side of the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. I've met brethren who I've dealt with through years, and they always seem like they got a sharp head, edge and are harsh, and I wonder if there's a kind bone in their body. Now, that doesn't mean we're a pushover. That doesn't mean we always say everything's okay. That's wrong, isn't it? But we can look at this, the, the bondservant of Christ must be kind to who? To all. That even mean the wicked people of the world? Got to be kind to all. What's the best, the kindest thing I can do to the, the loss of this world? Teach them the gospel. Teach them that they're in sin and they need to repent. Not say, oh, everything's okay. It ain't okay. You're going to love them. You're not loving them. But a lot of people, I tell them this, you're going to love them right into hell. Well, you don't love them or you tell them what they need to know. You know, we talk about that with a little child. If we step out here and some little child's out here and they run up towards the highway, if L runs up towards the highway, someone says, who's L? If L runs up towards the highway and I see her and I can barely get to her before a car's coming by and I happen to knock her down and skin her knee on that gravel, she's not going to like me, but I just saved her life. Is a skin knee okay? I didn't want to skin her knee. People say, man, that was a little harsh. Okay, if it's your kid, I'll let it run out in front of the car next time. Then we'll see what you think. And then you tell me I'm terrible for let. I said, let's be ridiculous. So we've got to understand those things. But he goes on in the next, and this is what uh, Ben's dad and I was talking about. The bondservant, listen to this, the bondservant of God must be able to teach. Did you hear that, brethren? If you've been in the church all your life and you've never taught anyone, shame on you. You must, not it's not optional, you must be able to teach. Can you say that much plainer? You must be able to teach. You know, over in Hebrews chapter 5, Paul tells him he'd like to talk to him about some tough subjects. I'm going to paraphrase here. But, and he says, by this time you ought to be teachers. But someone has to come back and teach you the element. How many times I got to tell you this? Do you listen to anything I say? Did your mom ever tell you anything like that? She was frustrated by that point, wasn't she? Well, I'm telling you, she preached the gospel. Sometimes you're frustrated with it. How many times have I covered this subject? And I tell people, no one can be that dumb. So you look at that. He says, I'll tell you what the problem is. They haven't, they're not applying anything. 
And I do know one thing, and Tim and Dennis, others have talked about that, when you get up to teach, boy, when you're going to teach it to someone else, application time and study becomes a lot more serious, doesn't it? So he says you, got to, you have to be able to teach, and we have to understand by the time he's writing the book of Hebrews, we don't just have a bunch of decades of already expired by the time they were Christians. We don't have a relatively short amount of time. And he says, even by now, you ought to be teachers. You know, and I think about that growing up in the church. I don't know. They put me in a teaching situation in a Bible class when I was a teenager. What I know, not much, but I knew enough to teach that class. You ought to be teachers by now. You ought to just not be the one that's always said. It's kind of like, you know, if someone's sitting there and they got their adult children, let's say Dylan, he's here, and he sits down by his mom and she's feeding him the food. Something wrong with this picture. Okay? That boy's grown. He's a horse. He can eat his own food. Look like he can do pretty well with that. So you look at that. If he says, oh, I, I don't eat unless my mama feeds me, I'm going to slap him in the back of the head. Okay? I get to do that. But I'm going to do it. But anyway, you look at that. How, how silly is that? So how come on a spiritual level we have a heart? You ought to be, you must be able to teach. Teaching serious. You know James 3 and verse 1? I think about that. Ben is scheduled to get up here next week at our family and friend day and bring forth that message from God's Word during the sermon. Dennis, just teaching Bible class. Well, I'm going to tell you what, when you stand before people and you present the truth, you better make sure it's the truth exactly. Because if you teach something that's even questionable, you're going to answer for anyone who might have sucked that in. So you got to make sure when you teach that you do your best to dot every I and cross every T. That you, that you don't say, well, I think, this is what the Bible says we're to do. And when you make application, you better make sure the application is exactly the way the Bible said it. Because if your application goes against it, your application is incorrect. And so I think about that. I take that big. I've been preaching the gospel a long time, and it still weighs heavy on me anytime I get up to preach. But I can think I started preaching full-time. Once I graduated from school, I still preached a lot while I was in school. But, you know, at 22 years old, whew, that's pretty, whew, that's serious. What I'm going to present to them, I better make sure it's exactly what the Bible says because if I present something different than that, God's going to make me answer not just for what I believe, but he's going to answer for what you believe now because what I taught you wasn't it. It's serious. Being a teacher of God's word is serious business, but a bondservant of God must be able to teach. I like the eldership qualification earlier in 1 Timothy because it uses the word apt. And I like that even better because it mentions just not able, but then you got this other part. There's people who are able, but they don't do a stinking thing. So it means apt, able and willing. So if you're able, let's get up and get on with it. Must be able to teach. We have to remember that. Turn back in 1 Timothy chapter 4. One more on that one real quick. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I got to move along. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Listen to that little short verse. So play. Prescribe and teach these things. We're to preach the word. We'll get to that later in 2 Timothy 4. But here's what you're supposed to teach. It's supposed to be God's word. 
So you go on and look, and I don't have time to cover with all these, uh, but I think about the idea of patient when wrong. You know, you want to get somebody's dander up, treat them wrong, and some people aren't very patient about that. You know, people, do you know sometimes people think before they speak? And do you know sometimes people don't mean what they think, what they say? And do you know um, sometimes they do, and you give them the benefit of the doubt the first time or two, but after that, you know, if you reach through a fence to pet a dog and he bark, bites your hand, you're pretty foolish if you do it a second time, aren't you? So you look at that. We're going to be patient when wrong, but it doesn't mean we put ourselves in the situation where we can just be wronged and wronged and wronged and wronged and wronged. But it does mean we won't be holding grudges and holding things against each other. So you go on with this as he gets to that point. Then he covers a little bit here, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps, here's why you're going to be gentle with them. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of truth. And I'll get the last verse here in a minute. But I think about that. It says we've got to correct people gently. Now, that's kind of interesting with that because it can get past that point, but that's the first thing to try because the word rebuke is pretty stern. And so you look at that, and when it talks about the kindness and severity of God, it's pretty straightforward. But let's look at, think about a few things here in this passage when it says um, we're going to generally correct them. If you're going to correct them, what's that mean? If you've got a paper and the teacher sends it back to you and they've checked all these things that are wrong and they say, I would like you to correct this, what's that mean? It means whatever was wrong on it, you got to make it right now. So what's that mean, correcting them? It means they got to be corrected. What they're doing is not right. So they've got to be corrected, but you've got to give God time to affect them. Now, if it's been a year, months, year, and nothing's happened, you gave them time. But correcting them one minute, expect to change the next minute, that's a little foolish, isn't it? So I want you to think about this. If you go over here to 2 Timothy 3.16, listen to this, and we know this passage pretty well. All Scripture is inspired by God. We've quoted a lot, haven't we? And what's it profitable for? It's profitable for teaching. That's what we usually talk about. That's usually the only point we usually hit in that verse. So it is profitable for teaching. We talked about teaching. We're to be able to teach. God's Word, Scripture, is profitable for teaching and for reproof, and here's that word, and for correction. Well, this is what you're doing, but this is what the Bible says. Correction is so important. I think about it, you know, and we'll hit on some of these points here in a minute. One of them I'll hit on when we get close to the end a little more, but man, if my life isn't right with the Lord, I need to correct it today, don't I? Now, in my whole life, it hadn't been that, I don't think it's been that way all through history, but in my life, we don't usually do much preaching without offering the Lord's invitation. But I still believe the most invitation-oriented thing we do is partake of the Lord's Supper. And so, if your life isn't right, don't take the Lord's Supper. Fix it. Don't leave here without, well, I didn't partake of it because I wasn't right. That was, that was ignorant, wasn't it? You should have repented, confessed your sin and repented so you could. Now, to partake of it and not be right, that's a real problem too. We'll get to that here in a little while. 
Because that's part. So that correction becomes so important. Turn with me over to Jude. Man, I have so many things I want to cover. Uh, Jude. I thought about breaking this down, but I thought these three verses need to stay together. Uh, Jude 21 and 23 here in this chapter. <clears throat> it says, Keeping yourself in the love of God, anxious, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Oh, what I got to say there is amen. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. That sounds pretty serious. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even their garments polluted by the flesh. This correction thing is serious, serious business. If you remember, it's important for lots of reasons. You guys remember the chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where the church got a problem there? And it's kind of interesting. He talks about a man that's living with his father's life, talks about a person living in a situation that is sinful, and then he get out of it. But what he's really condemning is the church for not doing anything about it. And then he tells us in verse 6 there in 1 Corinthians 5, this plain, simple little analogy, a little leaven. Leaven's a whole lump of dough. Said So if you leave it in the church, now you're all dirty. Wow. That's so important. So to move on real quickly here, because I, I want to get to this passage in 1 Corinthians because I think it's important. So here in a little while, Lord willing, if he don't come before I finish this sermon, in chapter 11, the Lord's Supper is so important. And there's so many things you can look at. It's all-encompassing. But I want to pick up and read from verse 27 through 29. And it really hits on this part. The Lord's Supper should be a time of examination, reflection, and correction. Listen to what he just says. Now, I would encourage you to back up and read the whole thing from... Uh, 22, 23 to the end of the chapter, but listen to it just from 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, what's that mean? I'm not right with the Lord, but I'm going to partake of it anyway, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Am I just crucifying the Lord anew? That's kind of... But a man, whoever partakes the Lord, must, there's another must verse, Examine himself. Am I to examine Georgina during the Lord's Supper? Am I to examine Jason? Don't be worrying about anybody else when it's Lord's Supper time, folks. You better do some serious self-examination. They're going to answer for their self. This is what you're doing. Don't worry. This is not a time to be worrying about them. You better be serious. So he says here... You've got to examine yourself, and so doing, he eats the bread and drinks the cup. But he says, for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, and he does not judge the body rightly. Wow. Eats judgment. I don't like that in the numeric standard. I grew up on the King James. He eats damnation. Isn't that interesting? So if I partake the Lord's Supper today, and I know my life's not right with the Lord, or it's even questionable, and I don't correct it, I'm eating unleavened bread and drinking fruit of the vine straight to hell. He said, you better examine yourself. You're gonna I'm not going to answer for you about you, what you do with it. You are. I think I've read time and time again, we're all going to be judged by our deeds, the deeds we do. But I think that's important. So jump to the last verse. We'll just move on with this because there's so much. 
And so you're going to give them a little time so that they may come to their senses. I found out, I don't know if some people have any sense to come to. But you've got to give them time because they're not working sensibly. When you've got to argue around and give all this foolish reasoning, you do know that don't make any sense, right? And escape from the snare of the devil. That reminds me, look, real quick, keep your hand there or a marker and listen to this. Or you can turn with me. Galatians 6 and verse 1. Listen to this. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in a trespass, that's a snare. You who are spiritual, restore such a one with the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself. There's that again. So that you too may not be tempted. And he goes on. But he talks about, man, the Satan, Satan will get you hooked and you'll try to find all kinds of reason to focus on physical reasons why it's okay when spiritually it's dead wrong. Wow. How important is that? But I want you to think about this. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. But, so we're going to give the Lord, as it says up here, that he may grant repentance. That sounds a little bit. We've got to remember the Lord has to play part in this. You guys remember 1 Corinthians 3.16? How much conversions are there going to be if God doesn't do His part? But we have to do our part. We have to plant and water. Who gives the increase? So we've got to give them the instruction, but we've got to give time for God's Word and for God to make a change in their lives. And they're going to be answerable for it. Now, the Bible will tell us those things time and time again. And I always think it's interesting. I was going to say I like, but I don't like it. I'm kind of aggravated when people say, well, you know, I'm really not doing wrong. Well, do you know still 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, I like it best in King James. It says to abstain from every appearance of evil. I was talking to the boys in the class back there, and uh, we were talking a little bit about how people perceive things. Rudine, I used you in my class back there. I hope you were the good person. I was the bad person. So, but Jamie, you were getting ready to cook fish, which we know that isn't going to happen. But she wanted to make, she, she heard that beer batter fish is the best fish, so she sent me to B&H to get beer. Now, I know that the alcohol is going to cook out of that. So, but Rudine catches me coming out of the store from across the parking lot carrying the beer. What's the reasonable conclusion to draw? Kendall's a drinker. If you've got to argue that, I ain't going to buy beer. I'm going to tell Jamie, I'll tell you what, you can put 7-Up in that. You can put a whole lot of things. Anything that's carbonated will work just the same as beer. You don't have to go buy no beer and giving off the look. You're to abstain. from. So if we're in any situation that even appears to be evil, which brings reproach on the church and reproach on the Lord, we've got to stay away from it. So what a passage. I mean, I could spend... Easily a sermon in every one of them verses. But let's remember where we started when you think about those verses and everything. These aren't optional. These are things that a bondservant of God must not or must be. So think about that as we sing the invitation song. If your life is not in line with what God said it must be or must not be, fix that today, especially before we partake of the Lord's Supper. If we can help you, please come as we stand and sing.